0: When it comes to the book of 1 Corinthians, I really enjoy it. Not that I don't enjoy the other ones. But there is a, a realness to this church and to this book. I know this would never describe any of your families. But stereotypical, there are times that you stay up too late on Saturday morning. So when their parents try to wake them up on Sunday morning, they don't want to go to church. They want to sleep. Or their lack of sleep makes them grumpy and irritable. Or maybe it's mom or dad that's grumpy and irritable. And they yell, get in the car. I don't want to get in the car. I'm going to in the car. i got to comb my hair. Why is she combing her hair? And then it's just chaos. Right? And the car's on fire and you're speeding down the road but then somehow magically when you pull into the parking lot at church it's like a a bubble of goodness has encompassed you and everything's okay i love you mom i love you son love you dad thanks for always obeying me and then you step out those doors and you put on the shiny plastic face and we act like everything's okay Everything's good. Well, the church at Corinth doesn't get to fake that because they are in deep immorality. There are those that are dying because they are taking the Lord's Supper in an incorrect, uh, incorrect way. These are legit problems. And for some of you, you, you fake it and you sit here and you sing songs about Jesus. And you even trick me on your ministry applications, and you go about your way, and you do it, but you have no real relationship with Jesus. But you don't want other people to know that because of what they might think about you. So when you're in high school, you really care what people think about you. In college, unless you go to Baylor, no one really does that, right? Just had a shot at Baylor. And when you get older, you really don't care in a sense, but in high school, it's a big thing. So some of you, you don't love Jesus. You know you don't love Jesus. But you want to look like you love Jesus. And you got your Bible and you're going to be taking your notes. You're going to be singing the songs. And the problems of 1 Corinthians are the problems of your heart. And the only solution is to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so through this study, I hope that you see their sin... And you see your sin. And you repent and you believe in Jesus. And you get automatic forgiveness. Anything you've ever done. Anything you'll ever do. Washed by the blood of the lamb. There were divisions within this church. Okay. It can heal relationships. It heals your relationship with your creator. That's it. You fake. Because you have no relationship. And you don't want other people to know. But. There also are genuine Christians, people that really do love Jesus. And we do make poor decisions about when to go to bed. Or, uh, you know, we we take our eyes off of Jesus and we start to look at ourselves and me and what I want and those types of things. There's this sinful, unredeemed humanness that we still battle with. And the book of 1 Corinthians is a good reminder that we don't give into that. We don't feed into that. We identify it. We root it out. We repent of it. And sometimes that means talking to your leader about it. It, Sometimes that means talking to your friend about it, not flaunting your sin, but acting real and true to each other so that you can get the help that you need. Because what's happened, Paul, with his beloved church at Corinth, he's heard things, and they're true things. And so he's going to write them and he's going to rebuke them because he loves them and he wants them to get the help that they need. And there are all sorts of things in this book that Paul deals with and it very well could be Christian that you're also struggling with that. Come to the word of God with an open heart and an open mind and learn and make the changes that you need to. Instead of faking your way that everything is fine and everything is okay. Big outline point number one would be the opening pleasantries. The opening pleasantries. Verses one through three. Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And Sosthenes, our brother... To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is obviously a letter, but it is not how we would write a letter where we put the who it's from at the end. This is common for the other epistles that are in the New Testament where he writes his name and he writes their name and he gives them some opening greetings. And if this was your reading plan time, you probably would gloss through these verses like they were nothing. But they are so important to what's going on. There are 3 subpoints. So you have one, the opening pleasantries, and then I have A, B, and C. And conveniently, they all start with the letter R. So you have the writers, the reader, and the respects. Easy way to remember. The writers, the reader, and the respects. And you get away with the writers. You just do a, you just do a little W at the start and then a big R. All right, that's how we do it at Tech. Okay, the writers, Paul, you know, Paul, you understand, Paul, he wrote a majority of the New Testament. What does Paul want to remind this church about? He says, Calls an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So let's stop right there. There are churches locally in the area that still have apostles and they have an apostolic ministry we do not have apostles what does it mean biblically to be an apostle there are two requirements what are the two requirements number one you must have seen the risen lord you must have seen the risen lord and you're like well what about paul on the road to damascus Christ miraculously appeared to Paul and blinded him. And what is the other thing that you need? He must be by On the road to Damascus, Christ directly called Paul to the role of apostleship. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul writes, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets... Some as evangelists and pastors and teachers. So in order to lay the foundation of the church, God gave those five offices. What for? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness Christ. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death and he was risen from the dead. When he was here, he handpicked 12 disciples to be his followers. And you remember them like Matthew and John and Peter and James and Andrew. And for a couple of years, he loved them, he mentored, he groomed them, he trained them. One of them, Judas Iscariot, betrayed him, which that was also prophesied. And so after Jesus raises from the dead, he comes back and he spends about 50 days with these men and with others. And sometimes we forget that, right? We think of Jesus rose on the third day and boop, he was in heaven the whole time. He actually came down and he spent about 50 days Preparing these men. Why? Jesus did not come to plant churches. He came to save, but he left men behind to plant the churches. So Jesus, in Acts 1, ascends. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit descends and indwells the believers, and the church age begins. And they go out, and they started first in their Jerusalem, and then their Judea, and then their Samaria, and then the remotest parts of the earth. And Paul persecutes that church. But when Jesus saves him and calls him to be an apostle, he begins to plant churches. And we'll look at what he does in just a moment. And that's how God grew his church he founded his church and in Ephesians it says he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and you say well whoa 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 why don't we have those apostles now Justin why don't we have prophets now what do you think God gave apostles and prophets during a very special time to establish the church so that when Peter rolled into a town And they go, why should we believe you? And he healed someone. They go, oh, that's why I should believe you. When they went into a new territory and a new land and they spoke in a tongue and they could understand that, the news spread. The messenger was verified. Well, now we have the word of God. The age of the apostles, the age of the uh, prophets is over we now have pastors and teachers that build off of that foundation but it's for the equipping of the saints for the work of service and so paul here's what's going on at corinth he established this church and now his heart is breaking because he's hearing about the divisions and the problems and he's writing them and he's reminding them i'm an apostle and I'm doing this not of my own accord, but by the will of God. And so that means that this church should what? Listen to him. Your brother or your sister comes down and says, you need to take out the trash. You say, oh, no, I don't. <laughs> Who are you? To, you take out the trash. They say, mom said to take out. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. I'm, I'm okay. I'm, right? It's different. Paul's going to write this book, and he's saying, God sent me to write this to you. He has inspired me, breathe these words out for you. There is a second writer here, and his name is Sosthenes. And I want you to flip to Acts 18. Pretty easy, just over to the left. And when Paul says that it is Paul calls an apostle Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes our brother... Um, often Paul would give credit to a co-writer it could be that Sosthenes really is sitting down and writing this with him it could be that Paul is speaking and Sosthenes is dictating you know like in seminary I didn't write most of my papers I had this software I would speak my papers and it would write it for me and it would come up with all sorts of funny things or it could be that Sosthenes is just in the room with Paul and he's saying look he's with me in his writing but I, Who is this guy? Well, look at Acts 18. This will help you understand. It says, Paul, after these things, left Athens and went to Corinth. Hey, Corinth, we got this. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, he came to them. And because of the, he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they were working. For by trade, they were tent makers. And if you forget that part about Paul, he would continue to make tents. And that's how he made his money. So that later in 2 Corinthians, when people said, oh, you, you just preach the gospel for money. Paul can say, I actually don't take your money. I make my living as a tent maker. Verse 4. Paul was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When we talk about the church age, the church meets on Sunday because that is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. The Jews didn't go to church. They went to the synagogue, and the synagogue met on Saturdays. And his practice, when he first rolled into a new town, was to make a beeline for the synagogue because those were the Jews. Remember, the Jews were God's special people. And it very well could have been that some of these Jews had traveled to the Passover and had been there yelling, crucify him, and had been there witnessing Jesus's death. So when he went to the synagogues and these Jews, they weren't like, oh man, uh, who's this Jesus guy? I've never really heard of him. They more viewed Jesus as, oh, that was that rebel. That was that blasphemer that got what was coming to him. And Paul is coming to convince them otherwise that he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. He's going to talk about the resurrection. He's going to talk about all of the miracles that Jesus did. He's going to show them miracles. He's going to go to the Old Testament and he's going to preach the word of God, showing them who Jesus is from the Old Testament. That's what he does. Verse 5, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. He's the Messiah. Genesis 3.15, all the way through, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. It's Jesus. Verse 6, but when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood beyond your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And do you think they like that? No. You had the Jews and then everybody else. And they were the Gentiles. And the Jews saw the Gentiles as unclean pagans. And you know what? They were. They were involved in idolatry and sexual immorality of epic proportions. All sorts of vulgarities. And Paul says... I'm done with you. I shared the truth. You rejected. I'm going to preach the good news to the Gentiles. And so that's what he would do. It says in verse 7, Then I left there and I went to the house of a man named Tidius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. And you're like, wow, is that foreshadowing or what? Verse 11, and he settled there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So we think Paul just rolls in, spends a week, builds a house, paints a building, says love Jesus, and then he hops out. We just had Missions Emphasis Week last Sunday, right? And so he spends a year and a half with these people. And what's he doing? He shares the gospel, but then he teaches them how to establish a church. He trains, he equips, he appoints elders. He leaves a church there. A church that can function on its own. Then what happens in verse 12? But while Galio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul is about to open his mouth, Galio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names about your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge in these matters. So the Jews thought, hey, let's get Paul. Let's go to the government. The government's going to help us out. And the government guy goes, look, I don't, I don't care. Get out of here. I, I don't want any part of this. And he drove them away. In verse 17, they all took hold of Sothenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Galileo was not concerned about any of these. Now, here we go. We already had one leader of the synagogue, Crispus, who became a believer in Jesus Christ. When he became a believer in Jesus Christ, what do you think the synagogue did? They got rid of him as the leader of the synagogue and who are they going to find to replace him? A man named Sosthenes, who very well could have been the guy who came up with this idea to take Paul and to get him arrested and tried. And when it didn't work, what did they do? They beat him. Now, what do we know about this man? Some place, sometime, maybe it was after this event, this man becomes, becomes a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is radically changed. And as Paul is writing this, he is telling them Sosthenes is with me. And it might be that Sosthenes is with Paul because he can't live in Corinth anymore. Because if he showed his face in Corinth, maybe they would kill him. Maybe they would be, we we don't know, all right. But that very likely could be the scenario that we're looking at here. And Paul is writing this church. And he's saying, look, I'm going to correct some things by the power and the authority of God. And you should listen to me. I planted this church. I taught you. I groomed you. I am speaking by the will of God. But you also should listen to this guy named Sothenes. Who he has taken beatings for Jesus. He's one of you. He's one of your own. I want you to listen. Let's look at B. B would be the reader. B would be the reader. Verse 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. To the church of God, which is at Corinth. And he's going to describe the church three ways. Sanctified in Christ Jesus, that's the first way saints in Christ Jesus, and sharers in Christ Jesus. So the audience, the reader, the church at Corinth is first called sanctified in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now we don't use that word a whole lot, but we know what it is. All right, we understand sanctified means set apart. We once were in the domain of darkness, but we have been transferred to the realm of light. We once were loving our sin, deadful, hateful, hating one another. And now we have been washed by the blood of the lamb. We are special to God. This church is special. The people are special, sanctified in Christ Jesus. And why do you think Paul would mention this? There are some of them that are deep in sin. Some of them are unbelievers that are faking it. But some of them are true believers. And he's going to tell them, you need to move on from that. Don't forget who you are. You are sanctified in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. That's what you do. That's how you do it. All right? this, is, this is football season in Texas. And every school has a a way, the, the tradition that you keep or the way that you do something or a rallying cry or something like that. Church, you've been sanctified. You're special. You're special to Paul, but more importantly, you are special to God. And God didn't save you For there to be divisions among you. You're a holy people. God didn't save you for you to all go your merry way and to do your own sinful deed. He goes on and he doubles down and he calls them saints in Christ Jesus. John MacArthur says that a saint is a holy one. It's someone that's been set apart. The supreme purpose of those who are in Christ should be to be like Christ, to have His mind, his attitude, his way of thinking and living. This is not the New Orleans saints. It's not a football team. It's not the Catholic saints. In the, the Catholic faith, a saint, to reach sainthood, you have to do, yada, 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 probably give lots of money. and then you have to do a miracle. And then you get sainthood. No. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. You're a saint. Christian, it's not that you're a nobody. It's not that you're some bench warmer. You are in the game. You are holy. Your life matters. Your testimony matters. Church at Corinth, all of those pagans that are living around you and working with you, they are watching your church. And when you do gross things, and when you fight, and when you bicker, what does that world think of Jesus? Y'all are no different than anybody else. Why would I want to become a Christian when I see how you talk, and what you watch, and what you tweet, and post? and You get it, right? This is a big deal. He goes on to call them sharers. In Christ Jesus, not scarers, okay? Sharers in Christ Jesus. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Tucker had a basketball camp yesterday, and there was a guy there with a Texas Tech hat. And immediately I knew that I liked that guy. And I walked by, and I did this, and he he did this, and there was, you know how it is, right? Okay? Christian, you are connected to one another because you are connected to God. But you're also connected to all believers throughout all time. And you do what you do, and you live your life not just for you, but you do it for them. You do it for them. You think of everything that Paul went through, everything that Peter went through, everything that John went through. They did it for those around them, but also for the generations to come. And when you are part of a group, when you're part of a group, You tend to to run that extra lap or do that extra rep or show up to practice a little bit early for the the sake of the community, for the sake of the team, right? Well, he's reminding them, you guys are all on the same team. So when we get to it, when they're saying, I'm of Apollos and I'm of Paul and I'm of Jesus, he's like, "Uh uh-uh. No, we're not playing that game. You're all sharers in Christ Jesus, which is a reminder what you have God has given you. So there's not one of us better than another one of us. We'll get to that when we talk about giftedness. And he uses the illustration of the body of Christ. Because there's some that were the tongue. But then there are others that were the toe. And the toe is like, well, I'm not a tongue. That's me. And uh, you know, that type of thing. You, there's not one better than that. You're, you're all together. You're united in one. So that's the writer. That's the reader. And now let's look at the respects. Let's look at the respects. When I say that, I mean a formal expression of greeting or friendship. Paying your respects. You've kind of heard that before, right? He says, grace to you and peace. Grace to you. God's unmerited, undeserved favor be to you in peace I mean they already have peace because they were at war with God but they have laid down their weapons and they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ so they already have peace with God but a reminder of that peace and how often are we tempted to worry to be anxious I mean you're worried about the your parents going to see that report card? Or how are you going to do in that class? And, you know, who am I going to marry one day? And what kind of job I'm going to get? And, you know, am I going to perform like this? And what about this? And does this person like me? And does this dress make me look fat? You know, all of those things, okay? There's real worries. There's things that make us anxious. And he says, look, I want you to remember that you already have God's grace. And I want you to have peace. Christian, you have a place in heaven forever. No one's taken that from you. You have a God who loves you and has your best interest in mind. No one's taken that from you. God has gifted you with his Holy Spirit for his work and service. And no one is taking that from you. And when we read these verses, you're like, ah, peace. Peace. But then you think of it. He's writing this beloved church and he wants you to remember you have God's grace. I want you to have it even more. And the fightings and the battles, the bickering that is going on in your church, peace. Peace with your maker. Peace with your own walk. Peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Peace. Leon Morris says, peace, which is this This word shalom, you've probably heard of that before, right? It's not just the absence of strife, but the presence of positive blessings. The presence of positive blessings. And then we see our source of grace and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. From God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are an unbeliever, let's pause for a moment. If you are an unbeliever, you are not sanctified in Christ. You are not a saint, you are an enemy of Christ. You are not a sharer in Christ. You're actually on the outside of the wedding feast looking in. If you're an unbeliever, you have no grace, you have no peace because those are things that God gives his children. He does not give that to the rebel. He does not give that to his opponent. He does not give that to the children of Satan. And so if you refuse to heed the words and to repent in Christ unbeliever, You're going to continue to be excluded. You are going to continue to be on the outside looking in. You will live a life full of worry and anxiousness. No matter what you get, it will not be enough. You like that? But if you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, then believers, look what we get Forgiveness, set apart, called holy ones, sharers in a community, a a network, a fellowship, a body of Christ. And we get grace and we get peace. And we take that knowledge and we take that truth and we listen to what Paul the Apostle is still telling us today. And we apply it to our own walk and to our own life. So as this book is a book about correction and condemnation. Where do I need to be corrected? As a Christian, where am I failing my Lord? And then I seek to make the changes that I need to make. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father. We love you and thank you for your word. Beautiful truths contained right here. And I pray for these young men and young women that they would listen and learn with open hearts and would put into practice the things that we have talked about. Thank you for this blessed book and I pray that you would bless our study in it. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.